Leadership is taking people on a journey where there is a vision, guidance and purpose. Good leaders lead with the heart as well as the head. Leadership means doing the right thing for the right reason, no matter how difficult it might be. You're listening to Leadership Unwrapped, a podcast where you will hear from people who are living leadership every day. Our next guest is Dr. Teresa Shields. Teresa experienced a traumatic brain injury as a result of a car accident several years ago, but she's not let her hold it back. Teresa's gone on to do a degree, a master's and a PhD. She's a keen proponent for supporting those for inclusion, especially those with disabilities. She understands traumatic brain injury because she lives it every day. She's got a unique take on inclusion in higher education a fantastic sense of humour and always driven to be the best that she can and to support others to be the same. So we're absolutely delighted to welcome you here today, Teresa, and thank you for saying yes that you chat to us for our podcast. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. So we might start by telling our listeners your journey. What happened to you? Well, uh, at the age of 19, in 2002, I sustained a, a severe traumatic brain injury as a result of car crash and I was in a coma for over two weeks <laughs> and I as a result I had physical cognitive uh, challenges which were immense yeah. and I spent overall I spent eight months in hospital mm-hmm. before I could return home and uh, that actually was the start of more rehabilitation. It wasn't the case where I came home and I was fixed. Mm-hmm. It was only the beginning of my true rehabilitation okay. in the community. So when you when you came out of the coma after the accident what were you able to do or what, like, where did you start from then? Can you just give the reader, the listeners a sense of that, I suppose? Um, when I came up from the coma, see, I can't actually remember that time, mm-hmm. but um, I had no movement at all and could only move my eyes because I, I can remember a time when my brother brought in my newborn nephew and I could only move, I couldn't even hold him. Yeah. I could only move my eyes and I couldn't even, I had no self-awareness at all. So. Yeah. And so you started the journey of of rehab was probably from that moment then, I take it. Um, about so... Yes, um, I was actually doing rehab while even though I wasn't self-aware, I was in the rehabilitation centre um, a month after that. Okay. And what was rehab? What, what happens for rehab for those that aren't familiar with it? Well, it's hard to explain, but um, they... They actually try to get you to become more independent and to to be able to do everyday things for yourself. Um, They got me to shut in. I know this may seem 
um, very everyday to some people, but it has to be said that um, people with TBI, as severe as I had it, I had to be taught how to dress themselves and shower. So it was kind of very, it was good for to be able to engage in that yeah. sort of activities, to be able to participate and, and get where I am today. Yeah. I think people who don't, who don't know a lot about TBI or, or about that rehab part don't, don't get that you're starting from scratch again and you're learning to walk and you're learning to, even your vision, to, to get your vision back to be able to see properly yeah. and learn to balance, shower for yourself, look after all of that. Um, I think you, I think those that experience it know it. And I know we know mm -hmm. it in my family too, but um, it just takes huge determination to do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And do you have a full memory of that time from rehab from the beginning or? Um, well, I actually do because but I was in the hospital before I was transferred to the rehabilitation centre in Dunleary. So I that month before in hospital, I really don't have much of a memory from that time. But up in Dunleary, I have. Mm -hmm. And um, we used to take part in the... Um, uh, occupational therapy and exec executive training group where we had to relearn how to do memory tasks and planning and organizing and it was a kind of group of us trying to see, see could we regain those skills and that helped me a lot to um we learn those basic aspects of life, but of course I was had um, a real tendency to laugh during <laughs> my rehabilitation. So, and it's not that I wasn't aware that I was badly injured. It's just I, I couldn't help laugh because I it's better than crying. Mm -hmm. You know. So they say. Yeah. <laughs> you have, um, those of us that know you know that you have real determination in spades and really a positive way of looking at life and the laughing you have kept most yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. I certainly know that about you. So you. where does it come from? Where does that just sheer courage and determination come from? My, uh, my mother <laughs> and my family because they... I was driving, I was relearning to drive an adapter car, as you do, and um, I was going on a particular stretch of road and I could fear, feel the fear taking hold and I rang my mother and said, I can't do it, and she... Uh, she was proud of herself with her <laughs> psychology degree. And she said to me, now, I'm quoting Susan Jeffers and feel the fear and do it anyway. And I was here, <laughs> fine. <laughs> so 
I was just reflecting on those words. I was thinking, well, if I do it once, I'll do it automatically after that. So I I got over the bridge and I rang her in tears and I was like, I did it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So that's the little things that make uh, a person's life meaningful mm-hmm. after TBI. I think one of the things I've learned about TBI from my mom's journey, which has also been really hard, um, is just how how more prevalent it is than we realize. Mm. It's way more common than we realize. And it's, um, I know you talked about this with me before, but it's almost the invisible piece that we need to make more visible so that we can yes. we can really help and adapt a bit better to, so that access, not just for study, but for life, for shops, for living, for everything is easier. Yeah, yeah. because I found that the cognitive pieces, the cognitive outcomes of TBI for me were so devastating and I felt like I couldn't even go into a shop because that was preventing me from picking out what I wanted, asking the shopkeeper if I needed something else and to be able to adapt to the, the situation and to be able to change my mind mm-hmm. of what I wanted. And that, that actually got, got better over time. But it, it reared this ugly head again when I entered third level education because those are the types of skills that are needed for undergoing study. Mm-hmm. And the attention and the concentration needed to engage with the material has to be fine-tuned in. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes people don't see or overlook those challenges. Like, yeah. As you said, Patricia, if you're not familiar yeah. with someone with a traumatic brain injury and you haven't experienced it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think people think about the physical a lot more than the cognitive. Mm-hmm. It's because if you go see someone with traumatic brain injury, you're thinking that you see the wheelchair or them, they may have some limp or... Yeah. And you'll be thinking, oh, that's all, that's easy to fix. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only challenge they face. Yeah. So... Yeah. I can, I remember my mother's journey, my mum had a stroke, but she, she, well, she had an AVM, but, um, and after it, the first stage of, of the, of the hospital recovery before she had her surgery, she was using this, this, um, a square with pins for coordination, for pincer movement. You probably know this. And so she would spend hours every day just picking up the pin and putting it into the hole so that you, you, you were doing your hand-eye coordination because of the tremor that she had and and she she was she got really good at it within the yeah. the however long she was there and it was a long time and then when she went in for her surgery she lost all of that it was gone and she was back to square one and she immediately picked up the pins and started again and i i remember being so moved by the determination of it and the courage of it and i thinking would i have that if it happened to me and you're kind of the same, I think, you know. <laughs> no, but it's just 
that you learn to do a thing and your say uh, the ability to move an object and you do that again and again and suddenly a different context it could be a different room or something and it's gone and it's gone yeah. and you're like okay i'll have to adapt to this room now so that it just takes enormous time and courage yeah and can i ask then moving on to the third level education so you said a lot of things within third level don't align with the challenges say of someone with TBI and that that can be very difficult so what kept you motivated and what pushed you to keep going through that because obviously we're we're sitting here now with 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 Dr Shields in front of us so you've obviously done very well for yourself and what kept you motivated and what inspired you to do that well I before my accident I was actually a a student in third level and I wanted to return to some sort of normality but as you know I I only realised after time that I couldn't um, return to normality as I knew it Mm. but that's okay because it just is, I had to accept that. But, um, so returning to third level gave me a sense of meaning in my life and it brought, it brought me back into society where I could participate and find um, that I was flourishing in the little things and mm. that's just gave me um, a motivation to keep going because once I could flourish at the small things other people may not have known but that was what was motivating me was the little um, positivity I found in the small things mm-hmm. so over the years I mean we've talked a lot over the years and um, I think it's okay to say that not everybody felt you could achieve this. I think yeah. you got lots of messages after after you sustained the TBI that your education journey was over. And you've told me that a few times, but you certainly didn't accept that now. So what's it like to have that coming at you? Those people's assumptions to say, you've sustained a TBI now, so stay within the limitations of that. And you were refusing to do that, obviously. What was that like? It was very... Um, devastating for my self-esteem and for for any development of my identity as a person with TBI because I remember uh, going into a medical profession um, for an inter- an examination and assessment and being in the lift for the assessment and mm-hmm. uh, being in the lift with the professional and my mother and I was there like uh, with my walking frame and the professional turned to my mother and she said how is she now and I was like oh my god she is fine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for you. Yeah. and that was kind of getting across 
my annoyance at her looking past me and that I was a person and that I could be make my own decisions and, and an autonomous individual. But you haven't let it hold you back. So, I mean, it can't have been easy no. to go to the deg- to do the degree when you when when you went to college and were contending with the outcomes of the TBI. And you've talked about that, the concentration, but also the fatigue, the intense fatigue that it brings that that people don't understand, I think, until you know somebody who's living with it and um, and getting around the building. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Oh, how many times have I fallen? (laughs) I I thought I had gotten over my uh, little balance issues and I'd fallen down steps and everything, but I thought I had gotten over all of those issues and then I would be contending with the fatigue as well. So that was extremely difficult. And then also, you see, there's so many challenges I face. And you need resilience to overcome all of these. Mm -hmm. Um, So that you can face people who may have the wrong assumptions of you because you may uh, fall down steps or... That physical ability does not equate to uh, cognitive or intellectual capacity. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Can I say, without making too light of it, you fall very gracefully, I must say. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were together once when it happened and I'm calling you the starfish because you went down so gracefully. <laughs> you know, it, but and I'm, I'm not making fun too much, really, but... And it was simply because, and I, I, I'm, I'm always struck by this, the alignment of the lift just was the tiniest bit out. And it affects your balance and, your, and you could fall that easily. So these things are really important. But we, we, unless you live with that or know that, we, don't, we just don't think about it for somebody. Because yep. at the beginning of college, I was trying to be, oh, I can do what everyone else is doing. So I said, I'll go down the traditional stress steps and the winding staircase. And as I went down, I missed the last uh, four steps. Four? Oh, God. <laughs> so I, was, I got up and like, there, there's nothing wrong with me. But it's difficult because you have... Um, people's misperceptions of you but sometimes there they can be right that you do get fatigued mm-hmm. and you have to accept them and make them aware that you, you just need to be understood mm-hmm. and that you need more time to, to take into account of the fatigue mm-hmm. the cognitive delay and Sometimes you need to be accepted um, that you have TBI and that you have challenges. Um, so you have to accept and then you just, you make other people aware of those difficulties and they will support you and help you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but I think there's a big, um, there's a grieving for losing the who you are before, um, you know, and the changes that it, that come with that. The acceptance, I think, comes, it's hard one, is, I think is what I'm trying to say. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Yeah, it is. I don't think you ever truly accept the full and uh, changes that occur. Mm-hmm. You uh, accept the situation, and that's how you uh, deal with it and cope. That you accept your identity as a person with TBI, but you must. May know that these can change mm-hmm. uh, with each setting, so you have to be able to adjust, and that is one of the things that is very hard for a person with TBI to be able to adjust to each different setting and make the most of it and mm-hmm. flourish and disclose that you're having trouble are having difficulty so you can get the support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do if you're one of 300 in a room where you you need to go to a lecturer or, you know, or you need to, you know, to say to somebody. It, it It's hard to do it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes persistence mm-hmm. and courage. Yeah. But um, the disability support services do actually and give you an opportunity to disclose but it's up to the discretion of that particular uh, teacher or lecturer to allow uh, accommodations yeah because the policy in the university doesn't um recognize nor a diversity as students with tbi um as uh, they wouldn't really recognize that mm-hmm. disability yeah that it's an additional challenge that it can be invisible as yeah. well isn't it yeah. they, they wouldn't recognize that the the annual progressions yeah they wouldn't recognize the cognitive delays that occur in such anxious stress and stress stressful environments yeah. mm-hmm. as those examinations yeah so for our listeners what we're talking about is an oral exam we're talking about yeah. is a is a, a where you go in for about an hour and you have a panel of two or three people and they're questioning you and in that sort of you know argumentative i mean that word positively but a kind of a, a questioning and a pushing in terms of your idea space yeah and for somebody with tbi that's um yeah that's it's but that's the thing i that that we're only catching up on so and that's not good enough i just need to say that but so we we are still at the stage in inclusion where we're talking about adapting the system to help people who are coming in instead of you know inclusion proofing it at the beginning yeah. to make sure that it's that it's not adapting we're doing it's that it's it it's diverse enough to include everybody yeah we have a bit of work to do there cuz I still feel that when we're just adapting to let somebody in, there's still a power dynamic and um, and it's harder. It, it, it's then on your personal resilience and your toughness to get through yeah, that stuff. Because I to adapt to the learning environment. It is, yeah. It's often ableist and yeah. 
Very much so. And that's what I've learned even from, from our friendship is, is the assumptions that you, th- you can think you're as inclusive, and you th- but you may not be. And you just don't even know that about yourself until you come up against the, the piece where you realize this isn't working for somebody else. And so that I think for me, the, the piece where we're still, I feel like we're just moving the, the, the deck around the Titanic a little bit when we're kind of saying, oh, let's just adapt here to fix this instead of saying, let's look at the whole system and have a much more inclusive space that it's not one way of examining and one way of, you know, assessing and one way of learning. That's the... Yeah, I think we definitely like have a long way to go. But do you think in your experience, like, have you seen things starting to improve yet? Like, I know you're, you've dedicated a lot of time and work into ensuring that people with TBI feel supported and feel visible. But do you feel like it's headed in the right direction or do you think we're still... Well, uh, from my experience, I can only say it is headed in the right direction with, you know, with uh, the students being seen mm-hmm. and respected and recognised as a person. And um, But I don't think that the whole system fully recognises each individual student. I was lucky that I I had supervisors who are willing to uh, listen to me and were open to what I had to say. Mm-hmm. So that was very beneficial to my inclusion. Do you know what? I, I think um, it's a lottery. Um you can be lucky and get the right person who 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 gets it. Um, and if you're unlucky and you don't, then you've a bigger uphill climb. And I don't think that that's good enough. That's my take on it. Am I being too hard? No, because <laughs> like as Nell Louding said, you have to make a student feel seen and mm-hmm. respected uh, to promote the development of their learning and engagement with whatever topic and subject that they're learning. Yeah. So, and I don't think all supervisors are willing to, are willing to uh, go the extra mile and try and understand the student with TBI or any other difficulties. Yeah. Because they're looking at their own academic development and... But I also think, um, and this is one of the things that you've taught me, is, and my mum too, from her journey, but your assumptions are your, you know, are your assumptions. And so you work in this way because it's worked for so long. Yeah. But you're making these assumptions and, 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 and they're not right sometimes. So, and I'm very struck if it's, and I'm struck by this piece for us, but I remember talking to you about reading a book at one point and, and you saying to me, you're assuming that I can hold the book. You're assuming that my vision is fine, that I can read the book, that I, that I've, that I don't have this attention tremor that's going to stop me holding the book steady so I can read it. And, and we do make those assumptions and and you have to just literally, and because we come from an ableist perspective, it, it just doesn't compute that your assumption is yeah. wrong until somebody teaches you that it's wrong. Um, yeah, and you can do that with the best intentions in totally, the world. Totally, totally. And um, so that's been a real interesting mm. learning. 
Um, yeah, do you know? But it was my fault at the start that I didn't try and deconstruct those assumptions. Yeah. Because I was hiding them. Yeah, but there's a there's yeah, but there's also the piece about wanting to wanting to be seen to do everything well and and you know it's yeah. hard to just turn around and say actually you know supervisor you can't assume that you know which is really this is kind of the struggle that any student with TBI yeah. or any disability challenge does have that and uh, debate within themselves mm-hmm. that if I do disclose I might get the doctors are yeah. that yeah. I want so much yeah but um and then if you don't have open communication about the challenges you face you you don't get the support you need yeah yeah, yeah. and I was lucky that I was offered access to a support worker as well to help me navigate the system in mm-hmm. higher education mm-hmm. but um, that uh, doesn't always help you because sometimes you have to find your own way to navigate oh, yeah. the system in third level yeah yeah and I think especially when when that's where you may see your journey in the future it has to become a system that you navigate um in your way for the best way that you can to create those opportunities in the future so i think the the um the invisibility piece makes it so much harder and um just even things like assuming that that um with the fatigue and the concentration and everything, assuming that there's a time limit on learning, that you do your degree in this many years or you do your master's in this many years or, you know, we just need to unpack that way of thinking about it mm. because it doesn't... And if you don't complete them in a certain number of years, well, there's a cost to that. You have to pay more and more and more, yeah. you know. So it's it's an expensive mm. endeavour if we don't really look at, at, at all of that, I think. Yeah, well, I suppose I had to accept that I was in that system and that I was, I had to take because I was accepting my TBI and that was it and the challenges that came with that. Mm. So I was um, accepting the fact that I was going to take longer to do yeah. the uh, PhD, but also I want to change that system and to be making more aware of the difficulties and the fatigue which does affect a student's ability make the system more aware of TBI and their challenges and hopefully they can uh, um, adapt change not adapt to that yeah I think so too yeah. yeah. So do you think like is awareness, Joe, when you talk about changing your, the system, is awareness your dream, we'll say, or is like what what do you envisage as being kind of well, best case scenario? A, a response of uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. academy. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 No, I just think that if more students were treated 
with uh, care and have their individuality recognised, mm. then I'll, in a student with TBI would have their, pers- their personal traits recognised on the one hand, then treated with hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It needs um, a hopeful outlook, mm-hmm. so in an ontological turn, say, um, and then a rethinking of access for students with TBI, mm-hmm. so that it's not just a one-size-fits-all yeah. understanding. It just takes in the whole a holistic experience yeah. of the student and hopefully the academy can be responsive to their needs. Yeah, and that understanding of the individual can be across the board then. I mean, that's yeah. like, if if that was if that was happening, it would involve inclusion for everyone. Mm. Because if you have um, a caring um, department or university, they will accommodate each student and be uh, uh, willing to uh, change the system to, to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. I'm always struck, I know we've talked about this before, but I'm always struck by the work of Martin Buber, who talks about, you know, you can you can treat as an I it. So it's it's yeah. you know, the it's the group or it's the organization, it's impersonal, it's an it, this is what we do and we just do it. Or you can really come into that I thou space where I see the person and I I'm open to hearing what it is that that person needs to flourish. Yeah. And and I create the space for them to hear what I need to flourish with them. Because there's two in the dynamic, really. And I think the hopeful piece that you were talking about is the piece I hadn't added on to that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, when 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 you talk about being told, you know, that you, your education journey was over, you never lost that hope. You kept going yeah. and you talk a lot about your family being there to help you keep that. You never lost that. No. Which is amazing. But you no, know, because you do hope, you do have to have that hope that you can achieve what you need to. So that's, I think, your neighbor talking about distributive approaches mm-hmm. and um, in your paper. And I think that um, that kind of approach, it would be great for someone with TBI yeah. be, and not just being placed, placing the responsibility for a student with TBI's success on one individual, mm-hmm. rather place it on several different uh, departments yeah. and people for that person's success. Yeah, mm-hmm. it becomes the setting then, doesn't it? And the it? ethos, doesn't yeah. it? It becomes yeah. a way of being. Like you talk about that yeah. ontological piece, it yeah. becomes a way of that we expect that way of being in, in how we work. I yeah. think that's really important. Um, can I ask you about a paper you published about incivility um, for neurodiverse students? So um, what were you saying in that? I was just saying that it was the power dynamics in the institution that often caused me to go go into myself and not engage fully 
with the higher education system because the discourses often can play an awful part in the participation of uh, students with mm. TBI and my participation. Yeah, I th- and I think in, in that paper you talk about how the system itself can be uncivil, you know, and, and how we internalise that and just how challenging it is to to deal with that while you're still trying to get through your studies and do your stuff. So we might put the link of that into the the, the, the blurb around when we put this on the website, if that's okay with you, because oh, I think really? people should check it out. I think it's really good. Totally okay. Yeah. Yeah. The power dynamic is huge. Like I think... Um, particularly before it kind of returning to what we were saying, but that challenge of disclosing challenges versus not disclosing them and that internal battle, the power dynamic within the institution, I I would imagine is a big factor there. Yeah, Yeah, because um, some people, that's where care actually deconstructs that power dynamic and makes it more relational Mm -hmm. and that. It's the I thou, yeah, Uber's I thou, yeah, interaction that breaks down the um power that inter that power piece where the student is actually their needs come to the forefront of mm-hmm. the interaction and they can disclose their needs and they are met hopefully met. Because I think still that um, you there's still a power dynamic in having to disclose. It's not, you know, okay, you can choose not to, but when you choose not to, you're letting go of accessing some supports. It's not natural, not naturally there. And I'd love us to remove the need to do that because it was natu- the support was naturally there, you know, because, you know, with a disability, especially, you do have to disclose to get what you need. Whereas if, if you, you know, if you had a different, if something else, say, for example, I had migraines for a long time, I might necessarily have to disclose that. But yeah. but something like this, to get what you need, you do. And that's not always a choice if if the cost is going to be your success. And I'd like a system that that, that wasn't needed anymore. Yeah. That would be my thing. It shouldn't that's be. That's my hope. It shouldn't be on the individual. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I kind of went a long way around trying to say that. Thanks, Leo. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think it is. we want to uh, create an environment that people can be their authentic selves. And Absolutely. Yeah. So, excuse me for my fatigue. You're okay. We're, we're... <laughs> I must be a champ. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I know this is an awful question to ask somebody, but do you think your story inspires other people? Well, I hope it does. Well, it gives them hope that that anything can be overcome. Yeah. With, um, even, say, when I was at my very worst, I kept on to hope because my mother is... Sorry, I'm bringing her in. No, I think she's a fine woman. (laughs) (laughs) But my mother said to me uh, when I was, I said to her, my dream of getting back playing soccer. And she said, well, because I was in a wheelchair at that stage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she goes, well, um, 
aim for that and get as far as you can and if you fall beneath below that that doesn't matter at least you know you've tried your best so I've held on to that I love that. that I love that it reminds me of that saying what is it aim for the moon and you land among the stars yeah. it's that kind of real hope yeah. you know um you've said before when we've chatted about you know when you when you come out of rehab and you're back in your community you're yeah. kind of left a bit the services are much harder to access mm-hmm. so family is huge and i think in your story that's yeah. the case my family was a great support but also the community because they they did um they supported my recovery immensely and I only went to a physio because of their support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that, and that's really important. I think um, that people understand just how much families mm. and communities support those. Because my mum's journey is the same, and there was an amazing community support. A lady championed that. Susan Ford was her name, um, and that gave her back a capacity to to be independent, mm-hmm. which is incredible, you know, really helped that and um, and family. I think family because, is everything. Because uh, my family had to do everything for me at one stage and they never stopped motivating me to go further mm-hmm, and yeah. try and do it for myself and get more independent. Even when there seemed to be no hope for me like they would just say well you know keep going anyway and just try and do it and look see what happens and luckily it turned out well i have a sense they're not finished in motivating you somehow no (laughs) i think they i think they see more in the future for you no they're not but yeah, I'm not finished either. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? I mean, you're you're you're. Um, I know you met the minister recently, so we're in excellent oh, yeah. company here with people who are <laughs> hanging out with the minister. So, do what was that meeting about? Well, it was more about awareness campaigns and about uh, teacher training and supervisor training oh, to have awareness amongst others and it's brilliant yeah to be more inclusive to people with disabilities Mm -hmm. and bring about policy change in these institutions Mm -hmm. so yeah i think i um, give my input on it well that's what i i think it's really important to do it i think the work that you're trying to do and I think the work that Vivian Rath is championing and Professor Shelvlin to, to build that awareness, I think we're getting a, a groundswell now and mm. I think it's time to capitalise on that and get the voices out there. There's a risk in the current climate that other important discourses or debates that are going on around inclusion could make the disabilities piece a little bit more invisible. So we really need the voice out there, yeah, I think, is important. Um, Currently, the, the neoliberalist ideology in third level puts an emphasis on outputs and mm-hmm. totally. economic-driven, market-driven 
of so disability is seen as a kind of um, an afterthought yeah. mm-hmm. and there wouldn't be the challenges as a result of a disability wouldn't be given the limelight <laughs> yeah. or wouldn't be taken into account. Accommodations will be seen as very risky, very challenging for institutions having to per- place money towards that. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, well, couldn't we place funding or towards something that would be better? Um, possibly someone that market that publishes more and yeah. so forth. Yeah. So what what do um what can we look forward to? What's what's Doctor Shields going to do next? Do we think is there a bit of writing on the cards? Well, I'd love. Uh, hopefully, I'll be doing a book and a few more papers. Um, a book on how to overcome these challenges. Yeah, be great. And hopefully, that'll help every individual to overcome this yeah, yeah. disability and possibly a good long break yeah. <laughs> bit of a rest yeah. <laughs> which is fair enough too yeah I'd really look forward to that I think yeah. um, there are far more people who sustain TBIs on a yearly basis than we hear and uh, your research has said that I mean you, yeah. you've you've made that really clear and um, there's so many out there that need these stories, especially when it happens first, when you when you feel what's going to happen next. And you see, um, I know when my mother experienced her her outcomes, I was teaching and there was a gentleman in my class who you met subsequently, who who had come back as a mature student. I hope he's listening to this now, but when he came back <laughs> as a mature student... And he he came to meet me to disclose, actually, that he, he had a TBI and that he needed support. And it, this was two weeks into what had happened to my mom. And I remember oh. just being caught in my breathing because it was so raw. And and I, I just said, Can, let's just sit and have tea. We went to the library in UL and we sat in the library coffee shop and I talked about, which is unusual for the teacher to be yeah. to be with the student, but... And he offered to, he said, well, I come and meet her. You know, would you like me to talk to her? Would you like her to see that there is potential and possibility? This was before I met you. And um, I remember thinking how amazing that was and going straight down to tell her all about this yeah. and to see that this, there was a lot more to come. Yeah, because even if I just give a, a, some hope to other students with TBI who may have encountered the same assumptions that I encountered prior to going to third level and telling me that I couldn't uh, achieve third level education and doing a PLC course may be better and mm. um, that kind of assumptions or uh, discourses did not um were not very positive, but they motivated me motivated me nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And and on that note, if what what advice would you give to someone that's grappling with TBI? Oh, um, 
persistence, persistence mm. and just to look on the bright at the positive aspects of life because whatever you um find difficult you have to repeat it yeah over and yeah. over again until you get what the outcome you deserve and want yeah. yeah it's amazing i think you're the queen of persistence yeah. <laughs> nobody i have met that has your persistence which i think is absolutely amazing um and you're right you have to over and over because it needs the brain needs to re figure but, out that this yeah. is the rewire to figure out that this is um but you don't just give hope to students or, or to to people who've sustained the tbi themselves you give hope to those of us who are around that who who inside them are so are so sad to see the challenges of the people they love and then they meet people like you and people like the student that i met and and you give us hope so there's a much wider ripple in in the hope that you generate i just um think I need to tell you that because it's true <laughs> well, yeah thank you I hope that I do yeah I look forward to I mean we've worked together so and I think our listeners will have picked that up and I look forward to continuing that that work and pushing these boundaries and and feeling like we can make a difference in the space so I feel really privileged that you decided to co-opt me and make me do what I needed to do <laughs> so I'm grateful for that um I'd like to just thank you very much for all the support and I'm looking at you need to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But um not at all. It was you took me under your wing when I started the yeah. PhD in UL, so that was thank you. Not at all. So we might draw to a um a close for now, but we'll probably talk to you again I think when when, when your next work comes out. Um, thank you for taking the time and for giving us hope and hopefully for our listeners too more than welcome yeah. I hope I came across well yeah no doubt <laughs> no doubt um, and I'm going to finish by saying to our listeners you know things are quite hard at the moment and people are finding it tough lots of people are tired but most people are really doing their best so if you can say something nice or something kind either to your leader or to your colleague and just give them a small bit of hope just a chink it's worth doing it today. So uh, keep that in mind and thank you for your time. Mm.